0: Hey folks, welcome back to the Hermit Lamp podcast. I know it's been a bit, but well, such is the nature of these times. Uh, I want to share with you before we get into the podcast that there are some, uh, you know, moderate level changes to the way in which I'm moving forward with the podcast. The first thing that you'll probably notice is that this is a new seasonal format. So instead of trying to release episodes every couple weeks, I'm going to release a batch of six episodes in... The spring, six episodes in the fall, and six episodes in the winter. They will just be collectively whatever I'm doing at that time and whoever I want to talk to, but they'll uh, be there for folks to check out. Secondly, I have uh, decided that the Patreon wasn't really working for me, and so I have uh, canceled that. It no longer exists. However, what I'm doing moving forward is asking people who want to support the podcast to do so through either buy me a coffee or direct PayPal or e-transfer if you're in Canada. The links for all of that stuff is in the in the show notes for the episode and you know I mean I think the the first thing that I want to say about supporting the podcast is one of the things that you're supporting is accessibility because For six episodes, it costs about $470 US to provide transcriptions to ensure accessibility for everybody who wants to get on board and share in this. And I think that it's uh, on all of us to help make that happen. And then, of course, any money that comes in above that will uh, go towards supporting the podcast itself with hosting and technology and blah, 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 all those things as well. So that's the... Second thing that I want to share with you, the third thing I want to share with you is Google is mixing up their business with FeedBurner, which is the way in which people who receive this uh, by direct email are getting this. So I want you to know that Google is getting rid of that. So what that means is starting sometime soon, uh, you will stop getting those emails and there's nothing I can do about that. So if you want to continue to receive updates about the podcast by email, please jump on over to the website and sign up for my newsletter. You will get some extra stuff. Uh, There's nothing I can do about that either. The newsletter comes out every two weeks and showcases uh, workshops, new products, other information and projects that I'm doing. And during the run of the podcast, it will also include the links to the podcast. If you don't want to do it that way, then my suggestion is find a find a podcast service that you love or can work with, and start checking it there. Uh, it's on all of the major uh, downloads: iTunes, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and probably a bunch of other ones as well. I've set it up in lots of places. All right, and so with that, here's episode 116: Me and Barbara Moore catching up for our annual talk this one was recorded back in december of 2020 i hope you dig it i hope that you will uh, pitch in to help support the podcast and support accessibility and i love hearing your feedback so drop me a line and let me know how it goes Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Hermit's Land podcast. I am here with Barbara Moore. And, you know, usually around the end of the year, Barbara and I record one of these episodes. I think that this is number five, if not number six in that series. And I'll certainly be sure to uh, list all of those in the show notes for it. Um, you know, and I assume that everybody knows who you are, Barbara. But um, for those who might not know who you are, who are you? What's going on? Oh, two different questions. Who am I? Start with who you are. Who
1: I am. Um, I am a couple of things. One thing, I am the acquisitions editor for tarot projects, books, and decks at Llewellyn Worldwide. And that is um, what you would call my day job. And my other job is I also create my own tarot decks. Well, I create the ideas and then work with an artist to bring them to life. And I've also written a few standalone tarot books. I do some teaching a little bit less lately, but, um, yes, teaching at conferences and, and, um, workshops and whatnot around the world. And yeah, if people are going to know me from your podcast, that's probably what they'll know me for mm-hmm. It's my work with in and my own published work.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's been a another year. You know, we talked last fall and uh, you were still living, I believe, on a farm in rural spaces out on the mm-hmm. West Coast, you know. So, I mean, aside from the, you know, nightmare that is COVID and all of the things related to that, what else has changed for you? You know, you've moved, Right.
1: Yes. Yes. We, um, we intend last fall, we intended to move back to the Midwest because rural California was a really fun adventure, but it really wasn't for us. We missed, um, a lot of the things that go along with living near a larger city. And we also missed the Midwest because we did. And, um, So we decided to move in the spring and then COVID hit and in the spring when we were going to move and we thought it's not smart to move right now because my wife would have to find a job and how was, would someone find a job in this environment? And I also wouldn't. Well, there were lots of reasons. So we decided to stay where we were so she could keep working and we had some more safe. But we were nowhere near our families. Nowhere near. And uh, it just kept getting harder and harder. And finally, the universe kept giving little, you know, shoves. Like, it's time to go. You know it's time to go. And then finally, the internet went out. It just, it was out, and it's a rural area, so there's not a lot of options, and the service provider wouldn't even answer the phone when we called. They would never call us back. They just ignored us completely, and so we had a couple of other internet providers come out, and this was in um, August, which is fire season, which meant the skies were completely filled with smoke, because they are for like two months every summer, and so because it's rural, it's all uh, radio satellite based. So the guys would climb up on the roofs and they're like, yeah, we can't see our, our, our poles. We can't get a signal. So we can't service you at least not till the fires are done. And so we didn't, we couldn't get internet. We didn't know when we'd be able to, which meant I wasn't working. (laughs) And I needed to work because, you know, reality. And so We kind of took that as a final sign, like, okay, just go. It's going to be hard. It's going to be scary. You don't know where you're going um, or what's going to happen, but it's clearly time to leave. So, yes, so about a month ago, we moved back to the Midwest, and uh, we're still not sure where we want to be. So we're staying uh, with family for a while until we figured that out so that's a fun adventure um you know adult families kind of living together and and making it work um so that it's a big change big change from california It's completely different lifestyle completely different living situation um and when we were in rural california covid was a thing obviously but it didn't change our life that much cuz we didn't do anything, mm. which was part of the reason we wanted to move back to the Midwest to do things, to go to theaters, to go to museums, whatever. Um, so but when we moved back here, we really got to see how the city changed. Well, and we had the um the riots here, the um George Floyd riots and Driving around the city and seeing what, you know, the places that got burned and destroyed and seeing the memorial, which we, you know, did all that right away when we got back. It's just, it's been heartbreaking to see what has happened to the city that we loved, you know, and we left it four years ago, three years ago. It was so, it was like the best place in the world to us in lots of ways. And then so many places that we loved are gone. Now restaurants, breweries, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, places bo- burned down, boarded up. Yeah. It's living situation has changed a lot. Yeah.
0: How, how are you coping with that? You know, how are you, how are you getting by with all that amount of change?
1: What, has been probably my main practice since COVID is uh, trying to stay one day at a time Mm -hmm. and not get too focused on the future and wondering what's going to happen or what we could possibly do. Also um, like paying attention to the reality that I'm in and recognizing that basically 100% of the time, I'm okay, right? I'm, I'm okay. And it's only when I start thinking about what I've lost, we, the world, everybody has lost, um, collectively and individually, what the future might look like, um, all of that, it, it that is when I would get in a not great place. So trying to try I focused in the moment. Pay attention to what I'm doing. Don't worry about anything outside of the day. Um, Has been really helpful. Mm -hmm. And 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 sometimes that nothing has been helpful. Sometimes it's just been hard. I have never spent so many days doing nothing and wondering if I would ever do anything again. You know, like creatively or workwise. I haven't. I'm not working on a deck Mm -hmm. or a book. I got nothing. I'm doing my, my, my day job. Like I said earlier, my Llewellyn acquiring, but any creative work is no, not happening. Yeah. So the change. So just staying where I am, knowing that I'm okay, being grateful, obviously being grateful for what we do have. And, um, trying to find joy and happiness in just the littlest things Mm -hmm. because that's what we have right now. Mm -hmm. I'm helping other people reaching out. Those sorts of things have helped. I mean, it's really no one thing. It's a collection of things, you know? So, yeah. And I think you're going through lots of change. I mean, maybe not moving house, but still change. Everybody is realistically Mm -hmm. even. Nothing in your circumstances has changed. Everything has changed. How are you coping?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I've going through plenty of change. You know, like uh, life is life has been hectic. The first round of lockdown here, um, because I own a store, was uh, was pretty challenging. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm very fortunate to sort of be partnered with a essential service business, which which was very helpful <laughs> for me around kind of you know, kind of getting through in the absence of any support from like government or other places. Um, and, you know, and here we are nine months later, whatever, and we're back in lockdown in Toronto again, you know, uh, during what would normally be the busiest retail season of the year for me leading up to holidays, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I have been um, doing my best to really tend to basics. So I've been eating my vegetables, whether I feel like it or not. Um, and I've been uh, working my body to regulate the stress, you know? So uh, before stuff got locked down, well, in the spring, I was doing a lot of cycling and cycling to, you know, Toronto has some pretty remote places for for being a major city, you know? And so there are a lot of places where you can kind of, if you can cycle for an hour you can end up kind of away from everybody and in nature and so on. Right. Um, And so I've been doing a lot of that. I was doing a lot of that. When the climbing gym reopened, I went back and started climbing a lot and doing a lot of that just to like burn the stress off, you know, Um, like last night I went for a ride. And and since lockdown, again, I've been going back to cycling, you know, and I've seen foxes and beavers and uh, deer and, you know, all sorts of stuff, right? Snakes and birds and everything, right? Like lots and lots of different things. And it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Um, And I've been trying to tend to my sleep and like, it's all the super boring stuff, right? Like there's nothing super exciting about a lot of it because it's really just kind of, kind of the basic basics of things, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I've been sort of dropping in and out of my creativity um, lately i 've been making more time for it again, which was good during the summer. I was spending just a lot more time outside and like leading into like all right let 's take the kids and go to the beach let 's go do this let 's mm-hmm. go do whatever you know just to get away yeah. from stuff right um yeah you know i mean those are those are the biggest things that i've been ultimately doing to try and manage it, and also just you know I was talking to I was talking to a friend and and i'm in a fortunate position where I have a lot of skills and a lot of things, so when we were talking about how the government was not supporting small businesses here, like the way they say they were going to, I was like, "Well, what are you going to do about that?" I'm like, "Well, I guess I'm going to have to get really creative about growing, shifting my business, and so on." You know, and so, so I've actually been working a lot to make sure that things continue, to make sure that things stay afloat. You know. And so the experience that a lot of people had where they're like, I'm going to deep clean my house. It's like, I, I just, I just went into working like 60, 70 hours a week at the beginning of, of this journey, because that's what I had to do to kind of like get by, you know? And um, yeah. And so I'm still kind of, I'm starting to finally shift out of that a bit more because things are more stable for me now, but, uh, but also just being busy with that. It's like, well, it's better than sitting around feeling bad and, you know, scrolling endlessly on my phone. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I don't know why what you said reminded me of this, but one of the projects I did have to do this year um, was the, I had to write for the text for the 2022 tarot calendar. Cause I've been doing that every year for them. Mm-hmm. And I remembered, um, talking to a friend about it saying I'm having a hard time getting started with this calendar because I don't know who we're going to be in 2022. And my friend had the opinion that, well, we're going to be who we always have been. It's a tarot calendar, right? Tarot, you know, but for me, tarot stuff, a lot of it is so colored by my personal current worldviews, you know, because you pick any tarot card, you can interpret it so many ways. Usually what comes out is, you know, what I've been steeping myself in lately Mm. and also trying to craft that. So it is the content is useful to as many people as possible, you know, trying to make it accessible and applicable. And if I don't know (laughs) what, we're gonna be like how what, how we're gonna be thinking. What kind of things we're gonna be facing? It just it just made me stall on that project. It could very well be I was just kind of semi-depressed and was looking for excuses to procrastinate. Which, which is also you know, fair. During this year, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I eventually did get it done. Obviously, and um, my editor has not sent back um, the edited version and the queries yet. And I haven't looked at it since I wrote it. I'm going to be real curious to see what I wrote. If you know what I mean, it's because it was kind of done in a fog because everything these days is a fog. And, uh, and I'm just hoping it's not too harsh and too, um, um, fatalistic because <laughs> I, mean, I, I know how it was
0: feeling
1: and I could see some of that coming out. And yeah. I don't think that's what we want in this
0: project. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess it raises a question, you know, I know you just said you didn't know, but I'm going to ask you anyway, who do you, yeah. th- who do you, what do you think is going to be different coming out of this time? What do you, you know, like we're, 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 you know, we're recording this at the uh, start of December, 2020. You know, mm-hmm. there's promises of vaccines and stuff over the winter and into the spring or summer, mm-hmm. depending on where you live and what's going on. Um, you know, there's just a, there's just a change in governments which is not fully finalized maybe, yet. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Theoretically, right? In America, anyway. Right. Um, yeah. Who do, you, who do you think we're, we're going to be coming out of this? What, well, what change do you think will happen?
1: Well, there are a couple of ways it could go. One, we could just get over this crisis and then just go back to practically normal with no change, which would be sad because there's opportunity for growth when you go through crisis. I mean, this is like all the fives and tarot put together (laughs) happening right now. And if change doesn't come, if you don't grow from that, it's kind of like you just went through it for nothing, maybe. But you get bragging rights for surviving, so that's something. Yeah. Um, another way. Okay, here's something that has been bothering me a lot. In terms of, is it okay? if It's slightly political. I'll try not to mention. Yeah, go ahead. Um, because I'm not generally very political, but, but, <clears throat> I, I feel like okay, I feel like America and I can only speak for what I think of America right now is that the state that we find ourselves in this state where 50% of us think one thing and 50% think another, because that's basically where we're at. I mean, you can tell election results that are 0.3% we're half and half we're divided. I would love to see us move in a direction where we shift because we've spent many decades. Well, actually, all of American history basically is the individual is paramount. The individual is the most important thing, the individual's rights, freedoms, success, acquisitions, all of that individual. And um and and, and so that is the premise of America, I think, if we want to get super, super simplified. Now, America also, because it has such a diverse population, does not have any kind of universal initiation from childhood to adulthood. And I think that is like the thing that's destroying us right now, because if you look at how we're behaving, we're behaving like teenagers children who haven't been initiated who don't know what it means to be an adult and i think part of what it means to be an adult is to accept responsibility for other people around you and that's not a super popular notion in america i mean most of the people who don't want to wear masks don't are not doing are doing it are choosing to not wear a mask because they don't owe the other person in their space, anything. All they need is their own freedom and it doesn't matter how it affects anybody else. So I, I've gotten a long way from your question is where do I think we're going to go? But that whole, we have no initiation. We are a bunch of adult children has been really big on my mind lately. Um, But so where I would like to see us go is I'd like to see a shift a little bit from I can get whatever I want and that should be my focus and I should achieve my potential and my, 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 um, and move it more, move into a more um, community aware other people considerate kind of, Place to 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 live your life from.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, one can certainly hope, right? <laughs>
1: yes, one can.
0: <laughs> I, I also think that in mixed into that, I think there's um, I think that that certainly individualism is a part of it, right? You know, and a part that that we all need to sort of try and find a way to reconcile somehow. Um, but I also think that there's, you know, this this piece where, uh, you know, I've been, I've had this conversation in a variety of levels around um, tarot, around magic, around, you know, sort of broader senses of things about this sort of um, the end of expertise, right? And how, how people, the modern age, the social media age, allows people to create these sort of, uh, expressions of expertise that are not grounded in, um, not necessarily grounded in experience, right? Not to say that they don't know what they're talking about or whatever, who could say, um, but that like, I remember when I first met, um, you know, people who would be considered kind of the elders of the tarot community, you know, Mary Greer, Rachel Pollock, a bunch of other people. And, we, you know, one of the questions that I'd ask people in my early podcasts, is like, you know, or in other dialogues, it was like, well, how long, how long should you be reading cards before you become a professional, right? And the consensus amongst most of those people was 12 to 15 years, right? And and maybe that's maybe that's unreasonable, right? I know for me it was 15 years of working with the cards before I started being a professional reader, and. But I think there's something different when people uh, have have achieved a certain level of study and things or a certain level of knowledge, right? And I think that like, you know, I don't really want to get, if you're listening to this and you're mad about masks, don't email me. I'm not going to answer. I'm just going to delete it. I don't want to have this conversation. But I'm going to say that one of the things that I find interesting is the amount of people who are like, well, I've read the science and I'm like, I'm like, I just can't believe you because I can't read the science. I mean, like I can read third generation articles about the science. maybe I can read the summary of the science maybe, but as soon as we get into the science itself, I don't actually have enough knowledge to read that stuff right and and there's this sort of rejection of people who actually have expertise that that is um, really problematic, right? Like really, really difficult and and hard to reconcile, right? And if we if we have this issue where we don't have people we can count on or rely on to be experts or that or opinions, even opinions, you know, evidence or other things aren't really taken into consideration, then what do we then what are we doing? You know? And then what we're doing is we're defaulting to, you know, feelings and emotions, a.k.a. cognitive biases and personal biases and cultural biases, uh, as opposed to, you know, towards things that ostensibly should be more uh, concrete or more real or more universal, right? So, yeah.
1: Yeah, that, yes, I agree with you. I cannot understand science either. Um, I haven't even tried because I know I don't have that kind of background. Um, so yeah. So then how do, if you know, you don't have the expertise, how do you pick the experts who you're going to trust? Right. I mean, um, I mean, I know who I pick and mostly it's just because they sound sensible and not insane, but I don't know that they're not insane. Um, well, I was I also, having a
0: conversation with one of these people and I was like, and they threw out some, some, some data about something. Right. And I was like, I'm like, that doesn't seem real to me. I'm like, that is, that is not a, a thing that I've heard anywhere else. And I was like, I'm going to look it up and see what I can just, you know, cause I got my phone in my pocket. Right. So I'm like, blah oh, blah. I'm like, all right. John Hopkins has some stuff about this. I'm like, are we going to agree that John Hopkins is a, is a, a body that we could probably listen to on this side. Right. And they were like, right. yes, yes, we're going to agree with that. Cause we're going to listen to them because they, you know, whatever. Right. John Hopkins had something to say that was completely different within the point the person was putting forward. And they're like, Oh, and then they still turned around and said, well, you know, but blah, 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 blah. I'm like, but here's, here's this difference in facts. Right you know? Yeah. I mean, the problem, and I think the, sorry, I cut you off too. You're going to say something else. I don't remember. Keep going. So, I mean, and the problem is that like, as, as like mammals, we're not good at making decisions in chaotic and problematic circumstances, right? Like our, our responses and our biochemical responses and all that stuff are not geared towards consideration and other things. They're geared towards, reflexive behavior right so yeah it's tough
1: right well yes and and um i don't know if this exactly ties in but all of this also has me thinking about um qualities that i think are important important for leaders mm-hmm. um po- governmental political lead, public servants is what they're supposed to be but um I know for a long time um, people uh, who are running for office or whatever tout their achievements and their not their knowledge their expertise and all of that and that's fine, but I have decided for myself that I would rather have a leader i mean if a leader has those qualities, great, but if they don't i'd rather have a leader who has the ability to um, listen to the wisest people on whatever topic is under discussion, and to act accordingly for the greatest good of all the citizens. Um, you know, so that I think, because if a like a leader has a strong expertise in a certain area, they may be blinded to other things, or or or, or skewed, or or prejudiced, or or you know, just not be able to look at things differently so yeah i think elite i think leadership skills are something that we might want to start looking for in in leaders in the future rather than these kind of skills um which is not to say i'm not into mastery because i am i just w- was pulling that out of um the leadership uh definition of good characteristics
0: yeah mm-hmm. So. I'm kind of curious. So we were talking before, we're going to segue hard here, folks. So put on your seatbelts and your helmets. All right. So we were talking before about, um, tarot stuff before the call. Right. And we we're talking about, um, things like, uh, Toth deck, which you've been doing a bunch of work with. Right. And, and the Rider weight and the differences around those decks and like, there's so many iterations of one but not of the other you know a bunch of this kind of stuff right and i'm wondering i'm wondering what what do you see as the difference in those things right and and i kind of like because i think that there's something in there that maybe highlights things that are much broader than just tarot but might be easier to kind of like look at within tarot and then kind of continue this conversation of expertise and knowledge and, and other kinds of things, you know?
1: Oh, that's a juicy question that could go in a million different directions. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, maybe I'll preface it by, um, no, I won't cause it's not pertinent. Um, so the differences between the two decks in a broader way that might be applicable in other areas. Yeah. Wow. Okay, let's, let's start. All right. So here's a random thing that I read recently. And speaking of expertise, it was not from a Johns Hopkins level tarot source. So I don't know if it's true or not,
0: uh-huh. but
1: I heard, and because I was looking up what we were just talking about, differences between right away and in, in the thought deck. And, um, one of the things I read was that you could see the difference in philosophy of the creators and thereby presumably the philosophy of the deck itself in the two, in the fool cards for each deck. And so the Rider Waite fool has the sun kind of above and behind him, the sun representing God or the divine. So it's above and outside of you. Whereas with the Thoth fool, the sun is right at the groin area, showing that the divine or God is within you. And in fact, if you look at it as at the root chakra, it's at the root of who you are. You are, are divine, manifest, or whatever. So that's um, one thing, if that is true and not just someone saying, oh, I'm just going to say things, that would be a huge difference between them. The location of authority, mm. maybe. Where where does authority reside? Ultimate authority. So since you know more about the Thoth, I'm going to let you respond to that. Well, you think I have an answer to this question? I just ask you questions. I don't ever have any answers. <laughs> you No, but I'm asking you in discussion terms. So it's not yeah. the same.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that, like, I think that, you know, it's a question of, like, are we are we in exile? Right? I mean, or are we not, right? You know, and I think that's that we could say that the the fool and the rider weight talks about, you know, and the rider weight journey is essentially a journey returning back to you right? It's returning back to, to heaven in the world card, right? And although we can sort of understand some of those implications in the top deck, right? And I think that, you know, the thing that you need to understand is that. Crowley is, Crowley is in fact deeply, deeply Christian in structure, right? Like his stuff is deeply, deeply Christian, despite the fact that it would appear not to be at all, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But it's just more on the mystic front than on the sort of church. So, you know, the thing is, is if we're, if we're in exile, right, if we're in a journey away from the source of spirit, right, or the source, it's a very different matter than if we are never disconnected from it, right? And I think that that if we were going to talk about that kind of symbolism or that kind of worldview, I think that certainly that Gnostic underpinning of the top deck, which is we have that divine within us and we are never separated from it versus mm-hmm. um, the more sort of exoteric Christian Notion that we are here and we will eventually return somewhere else, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that that is that is part of it for sure, right? Mm -hmm. And I and I wonder if we're going to apply this to the world, right? As I as I so, you know, presumptuously put out there as a notion. um, I wonder. I wonder if there are ways in which feeling connected or disconnected are relevant to the to the conversation at, at large in our society these days, right? Certainly you talking about we need initiations speaks to that notion of needing a sense of connection, right, Mm -hmm. because it's one of the things it provides. Um, Yeah, but maybe in other ways, too, I don't know.
1: Yeah, yes. Um, And it is um, also interesting that this subtle difference, too, is if you think of the divine as something you're disconnected from and trying to get toward that might lead to questions that you may ask the tarot that are more like, what should I do or what am I supposed to do or what is the best thing for me to do with, cause it has that implication that there's something outside that knows what's best. you know whether it's, you know, God or the divine or, or a plan or how the universe unfolds. So it's like, asking for or assuming someone or something else knows better than you what you should do Hmm. and the thought one is more like well at least a little bit i've read so far and not Crowley himself yet, I'm just starting that, but um, Lon Milo Ducat has been a big help, has had my other teacher, Andrew McGregor, his work has helped me a lot too. Um, It feels like the way this stuff was developed, maybe I'm reading into it, but it's more about where, doing the right thing because you know it's the right thing, rather than doing something because it'll get you what you want.
0: I mean, I think that that in in the two polarities that we're kind of talking about here, I think that the question of like internal, like us deciding or us sort of working to understand what it is that we should do, versus mm-hmm. asking what we should do. Um. I think that from a if you're if you're in the in the sort of we're exiled from spirit we're exiled from from heaven kind of point of view then certainly it's it's deeply external right and mm-hmm. from that point of view asking internally seems like ego right but from the point of view of being connected internally by spirit mm-hmm. right um, asking internally is a path to the same way it's just a short path right it's not And it's not necessarily that we're asking our ego or thinking about it cognitively it's that we are connecting to that to that piece of source that exists within all of us right but Mm -hmm. it is our personal sort of piece of that and looking for the direction there right you know Mm -hmm. the sort of notion of like um discovering your will or discovering your path or discovering your purpose you know it seems you know, it seems like there there's these choices where one hopes that, you know, God or somebody's going to tell you what it is or we have to sort of sort it out. And in magic, there's a lot of, you know, dialogue around sort of connecting with your guardian angel and that informing you of that. But I don't even think that it's ever an answer in the overt sense that people really believe it to be, right? I think that it's so much more a matter of uh, connection and alignment um, you know of truly understanding who we are you know I think Jung and his individuation uh, is not the same but not so far off right so I think that this, this idea that that we when I think of we need to look inwards and find those answers um, I mean that in a transcendental way Right, and in a way that goes beyond our ego at some level, and then working to integrate that down. And to me, I'm not sure that that either one is less uh less relying on something that is, seems external, you know. I think that if we if we think about those higher parts of ourselves or this, you know, whatever we want to call it, our soul or our or Ori or garden angel or you know, this, that, or the other thing. I think that they are a hundred percent integrated and for our brains, they're still external, you know, they still function externally. So, right. yeah.
1: You know, what's interesting <clears throat> is, you know, we can talk about these subtle differences yeah. all day long, but I think what we would discover and what, Tarot readers throughout time and space, even today, discover is tarot works. It works, you know. It and it reminds me of do you watch the British Baking Show? Uh, I've seen or have, of those. Yeah. You you are you're at least aware of it. Well, um they have this one segment each show they call the technical challenge which all the bakers are given the exact same ingredients and in the same recipe and they do it and then they all turn out differently because different people are baking them and the if you listen to the tech, the judges on the technical challenge almost always for every single one that they taste they'll say well it tastes fine you know it may not have risen properly or blah 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 whatever but the taste is fine and it's like, yeah, it all taste. They all taste fine because they all have the same ingredients in them. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes I think when I get too much in my head with the tarot and which one is, you know, what is better, is one better? What am I looking for? I have to just remember, it's all tarot. It all has the same basic ingredients. Mm-hmm. And so, whatever you do, it's going to be good.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think, but, I, go ahead. Oh, but, <laughs> but I still do love talking about the subtle differences between them. And I think they're fascinating and important. Um Like one of the um shifts in the two decks, Rider Waite has the justice card and the Toth deck has adjustment. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about most people, but when I'm using a deck that has different titles than Rider Waite, I use the titles that the deck came with because names are important and they mean different things and can have subtle implications, even if they're not really big changes. And so I think the um, comparing justice and adjustment are really, really interesting and support the idea that you were just saying. Rider weight seems to have a, an external focus and the thought is more internal because the justice card in Rider weight feels like it, well, it could be earthly or legal, earth, um, governmental justice, or it could be karmic justice, but it's still an external. Judging of the situation and meeting out the rewards or punishments, the adjustment card. When I listened to, to a class about that, um, I was really struck with how different it was. Where it feels like adjustment is more like you're looking at yourself, your own actions, your own behaviors, and you're making constant adjustments as you go along in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that so that's more of an internal locus loci mm-hmm. an internal um fulcrum point for that action it's internal rather than external so mm-hmm. again it's it's similar but it's a subtle difference and it's still fun to talk about right
0: yeah for sure mm-hmm. so what is it what is it you are interested in about uh or interested in getting from your journey into the top stuff Hmm. I can tell you. Tell me. All I ever wanted from life
1: was a completely elegant, beautiful, unified philosophy that represents the reality. That's mm. all I want. Now, at different points in my life, I've sworn that I've given up that quest and accepting life as it is, messy and chaotic and not orderly. And duh. But then, you know, I get tired of that nonsense and I want, I want some unified system. So I'll tell you one of the things that has always bothered me all these years, writing about tarot, designing decks, whatever. One thing that has always bothered me is I feel like if you're going to have a structure, the structure should mean something. It should matter. It should definitely influence what the cards mean. And with the Rider Weight deck, I would do what we all do when we teach people to read. You combine the number with the suit, and that helps you find the meaning of the card, at least a good way to get started without trying to memorize a bunch of things. Problem I always had is the further down the numbers I would go, the harder it is to find one word that can apply to all four suits, mm-hmm. at least with the right weight pitchers. And I don't think it's fair to say something like, okay, the keyword for two, and then you give four keywords, one that goes with each card. That's not a keyword for two. That's right. keywords for those cards. And I found, as I've been you know, trying to – and I couldn't find a good – number system that you know even when I look at Pythagorean number system once you get past five it all like it's crazy and um I so I've been always dissatisfied with the rider weight number system and at least the way we use it modernly because I understand it goes back to Golden Dawn but you know that that has, that's like far away from the way we teach it now and so I was what I'm really excited about with the thought is that I'm hoping for, you know, a sephiroth means what it means and that's what the number means. And that's going to apply to all four of the cards. But then I started doing a little chart because I wanted to make sure that that works and it's true. And I'm like, but how can, that these seem so disparate. They don't seem connected at all. It's all ca- still chaos and confusion. And then i read or heard somewhere that it's easier to do that with the upper numbers because the further down the tree of life you go the more differentiated everything becomes that blew my mind that is like now i understand why Sometimes the sixes, definitely sevens, eights, nines, and tens can be really difficult to pigeonhole with one word because it fits all four suits because they've become so differentiated. Mm-hmm. So um, so what I'm looking for from the thought is a structure that makes sense. It is There's no arbitrariness in it. Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like if I'm going to give up give up if i'm going to turn to something for uh guidance
0: uh-huh and
1: i wanted to be you, what
0: are you giving up i'm so curious
1: giving up um what was if i'm going to give up some of i i was gonna say free will but i stopped myself because that isn't what it is at all but give up part of my brain space where i've taken no that's bullshit um Well, I guess if I'm going to give up some of my free will to a deck of cards, it better well have a good system to it. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, I think it's,
0: I think it's, I think it is a thing that people, um, I think it's a fascinating point, right? Number one, we'll go back and talk about the numbers and and whatever. I, I have stuff I could say about that. But I think that this idea of, um, giving up right or giving up free will i mean in in the orisha traditions right you know the orisha speak and we're you know we need to we don't need to abdicate our power and our consciousness but we're also intended to listen right and there is a degree of uh well accepting that they know more right Mm -hmm. and that is really hard for people really hard for western people especially it's probably hard for people everywhere to some extent but um but it's really difficult right because it requires some sense of faith right and one of the Mm -hmm. things that i that i appreciate to kind of pull a couple points together you're talking about is that for me and sort of having a good understanding of the theology and and the sort of Universal model of Aricianists, right? Um, it is a it is a model of everything, right? There is nothing that falls outside of it, and it's also something that I appreciate about the Toth system, right? Whether whether it's you know, I mean, there are problematic pieces with it. There are pieces that deviate from history, right? I mean, if we're talking about Western Kabbalah versus Judaic Kabbalah, they're different things. Um, But I think that more than any other sort of system that I've run into, it, you know, and certainly in the cards, it comes through this way. It is a theory of everything, right? And while we can apply tarot to everything, it's not necessarily, it's applicable to everything, but it's not a theory of everything. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense as a distinction, you know? But if we're going to accept that we're going to work within a structure, it does require us to to yield something, right? Is it mm-hmm. free will? Is it not? You know, we could say it's, it requires us to, to accept our discerning that we believe this to be true, maybe, right? But that in and of itself sort of speaks to the need to be coherent in our approach to it, to fully understand it, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Were you going to say things about the numbers? I will say some things about the numbers. Um, So, I mean, I think that the, number one, I think that keywords is is a uh, questionable practice in my experience, right? Like, not that it doesn't work, but I think that it is, um, I think that it is a learning tool versus a thing that's actually, longer term inherently helpful unto itself right you know and i think that a lot of people that i have had conversations with sort of arrive at keywords and stay at keywords when i think it's you know it's it's more like running drills than it is playing the game right mm-hmm. um but i think that if we're going to talk about uh, the top deck and, and sort of thinking about that right you know, there are, there are these four worlds, right? And at the top world, we have this sort of undifferentiated archetypal idea. And I think that key words make tons of sense there. When we drift down through these four worlds and we're living, you know, on this plane or, you know, whatever we want to call that that, that lower level, um, I think that the, the complexities of matter and motion, you know, um, aren't helpful necessarily to have a singular word for it. And that and that to some extent the whole system is a little bit holographic, right? So you can see the movement, right? Like it's why the the tetragrammaton formula is so key to the Toth deck, right? Because if you understand how that works and the pieces of that and you understand that as a holographic model of the universe, that is whatever scale you want to look at things, it is, it is real. is part of what's going on. So whether that's cellular or astrophysics or, you know, cosmologically or theologically or whatever, it is at some level at play everywhere, right? Um, but the conversation needs to change a lot because we're not going to necessarily talk about, you know, we could talk about the similarities between planets and the cells in our bodies. But it's not necessarily particularly instructive aside from, you know, a brief conversation and a curiosity about, well, they're self contained and worse cells are self contained, whatever. It doesn't go anywhere beyond a certain level, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where power of tarot is that it steers the conversation to where those comparisons are uh, profound versus where those conversations are just a byproduct of living in a a holographic universe
1: that Mm -hmm. makes sense yeah yeah um here's a question for you Yeah. Um, yeah so i heard someone who uses the um task deck say um say that while they didn't care for the art they still used the deck because it was the right fit for them. Very powerful. Um, And they could feel the spirits or the spirit of the cards coming through this artwork. And um, I've long wondered why there hasn't been a really, as far as I know, hugely successful, like a, next generation of the thoth deck like there has been with Rider Way. um do you what do you think about that idea of the cards themselves not the pieces of paper having spirits or whatever but you know being like a portal or a contact area because of the art itself
0: well i mean when people talk about thalima, which is the sort of general term or a general term for the the sort of branch of magic and and all this stuff that Crowley got into, right. Or created or received or whatever. Um, People often talk about that as being a current, right. And Mm -hmm. in the same way that like maybe chaos magic might be a current or, you know, other things might, you know, might have this sort of energetic line, right. That you can connect to. And so I think that the artwork in this is so deeply considered that it is um that I think it that it, it creates a, a connection to that stuff, right? To that mm-hmm. energy, you know? Yeah. And I think yeah, cool. that it is um perhaps more magical, maybe. Than other things, or than, than some other things, um, I think that the the artwork in the top in the say Rider weight deck, right, is um is more arbitrary in places, right? Um, you know, Pamela Coleman Smith was, from my understanding, sort of left alone in many ways with the minor cards and stuff like that, right? They that doesn't I, come from a cohesive view or whatever it comes from or artistic connection, maybe some movement of spirit and whatever, but it's a very different thing, right? You know? And you know, but I'm always I'm always unclear what people mean when they talk about connecting to spirits or connecting to the energy of the deck. Or people will say stuff like this deck talks this way, or this deck's chatty, and this deck's not, and all these kinds of things. And I, I absolutely get that something is going on there, but mm-hmm. I don't actually know what that is, right? Mm-hmm. And and I've spent a lot of time over the years talking to people and inquiring and thinking about it and so on, and and never really getting to a, an answer about it, right? Because it's one of those things that largely falls outside of my experience, you know. Mm-hmm. When I read cards, um, I use the artwork and I use my experience and I talk to the specific spirits that I work with who I know by name, who've agreed to help me read cards for people and maybe people's ancestors. Mm-hmm. And those pieces essentially coalesce to create the reading, right? You know, did I say study? It's study, like historic study mm-hmm. of symbolism and history. Um, and the people who have these other experiences it's so far outside of my experience that i've never really been able to understand it so Mm -hmm. so when people say they connect to the spirit of the deck or this or that or they feel uh you know like people say with the tough i feel the dark energy around it and i don't like it some people really dislike it Mm -hmm. and that's a hundred percent fair and you should always listen when you have a reaction like that to stuff Mm -hmm. but personally I don't understand it like I don't I don't ever have those things I have sometimes I have aesthetic judgments you know I'm like oh, I really don't like I actually don't like the art in the Rider Waite deck right it's like eh, it's okay it's not that great you know um but that's just personal taste that's not that's not the deck itself or whatever and I don't and I don't interpret that as being the spirit of the deck telling me to go away you know mm-hmm. um and I don't think that that's what's going on. I think people are having other kinds of experiences that I don't understand. Maybe some of them are, are psychological. Maybe some of them are, are their spirits don't like that deck, right? Or maybe they're experiencing a spirit that, uh, speaks more strongly through one deck than through another. Um, but in terms of it deriving directly from the creation of the art and the deck itself, um, I just don't really, I've never experienced it. So if that's what's going on, it's beyond my, my scope of understanding. So, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah. Yeah. I don't know that many people who use the stack um, either exclusively or a, a lot. So when I do run into someone like that, I like to ask these questions to find out, you know, is this a common shared experience amongst people who use the stuff or is it as individual as, you know, people who have psychic experiences using the Rider weight? Right, you know, that's not a universal thing either. Yeah. For um, sure.
0: Yeah. I, think so. it's, I would say it's probably not a universal thing. So yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm interesting Uh, it is funny when you know people feel like a deck is has a certain personality or interacts with them in a certain way um i because i don't have that with every deck i pick up by any means there have been a few that feel like that and i really part of me really believes I'm just projecting my, where I'm at right now onto that deck or what I need or my subconscious knows what I need. And so it's projecting that maybe, um, because, um, the little bit of work I've reading, I've done for myself with the task deck, I imagine it being very sarcastic and very, um, witty and clever and you know having a voice like that like um but i feel like that's just me entertaining myself with that because i mean do you ever do that with your cards when you read for yourself
0: so my readings are the same regardless of what deck i do like doesn't really matter like I mean, so I predominantly only read with Marseille decks because the primary spirit that I work with, with people for doing divination, um, basically said to me at one point, like, look, dude, if you want to give good readings, read with this deck. If you don't really care, then do whatever you like, right? And so Mm -hmm. for, I don't even know how long now, a very long time, um, I've been reading only with Marseille decks because that spirit prefers it. And, um, but whether I read with a top deck, whether I read with, you know, something like if I'm at a conference and like, we're sitting there and somebody we're, you know, I'm partnered with somebody, I'll just ask them if I could read with whatever deck they have. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause th- to me, it doesn't really matter. And to me, the process of reading and the way I read and what I'm going to say, it's not really going to be changed too much by by what deck I'm going to work with or whatever, right? Um, So so in that sense, I feel like my presentation of my process of reading is 100% consistent, whether I have the Rider-Waite deck, whether I have this, whether I have that. Maybe the stories will change a little bit. Maybe I will, um, like certainly if there's an element that's in one deck that I'm reading with that I can then point at and talk about something from the the art as -hmm. part of the story, I will do so. And that, that will change depending on the deck that I'm with, but it doesn't change the voice of what I'm saying. And if I Mm -hmm. was using a different deck, I would probably articulate the same message, but I wouldn't be like, well, but look in this, you know, and look at the way the horse is or look at whatever's going on here. You know, we know, you know, we know that in this Hierophant, it's Chiron and Chiron means, you know is the centaur blah 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 i might tell a different story or i might just tell that information without the story but the voice of it the articulation of it, the process of delivering a reading feels a hundred percent percent constant across all of the deliveries that i might give to somebody so
1: It must be nice to be that mentally stable. I feel like I have no idea what that's like.
0: (laughs) I don't know if it's about that or not. I mean, I actually wonder if it's a product of, uh, you know, I read exclusively with one deck for 15 years. And then when I started reading, um, you know, because like for the first long stretch when I read for people publicly, I only read with the top deck. And the only reason I branched out from the top deck was because I found myself, you know, I was doing like 30 hours a week of readings for people, right? Like sit down face-to-face readings for half an hour to stretch, you know? So doing a lot of readings. And um, and I was like, uh, just kind of finding myself getting into a rut right i felt like i was just looking like oh well the ace of wands talks about you know and like slide out of being present slide into like just being a talking head (laughs) Mm -hmm. right and so i branched out into other decks to shake that up um Mm -hmm. you know i got into working with the hermetic deck a lot um Mm -hmm. so the deck i used i tried the handle deck and didn't really like it um you know, but I tried some other stuff. I, I used the, uh, the Jungian tarot a lot, um, by Robert Wang. Mm -hmm. And, and I, so I shook it up just, just to kind of like make myself be present again and not sort of just go on autopilot, you know? And then, and then when I migrated out of that, um, you know, whenever that was now, a long time ago now, um, then for like the last twelve years or something, I've only been reading Marseille decks for clients. You know, and always pretty much always the same deck. So mm-hmm. you know.
1: I um studied Marseille during quarantine too. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> been doing a lot of studying. Yeah. Um yeah, and in fact, in fact, hopefully, fingers crossed, I'm teaching, well. I'm teaching a class for Tabby this winter at their virtual conference. And I'm going to be going to be doing a comparison of the Rider-Waite, Marseille, and Thoth deck, um, compare and contrast. And so I did do some Marseille study. And one of the things that I like about that DAC is that it feels like it's easier to be objective and it's less overly dramatic, like, um, because we, we like to say all the cards have a, 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 a variation of a range of meaning, sure. but when you lay down a card that has a huge heart pierced by three swords, it's hard to see the variation in meanings, right? Um, It's very dramatic. And so it makes, you know, stories real or readings, you know, it's dramatic. And um, I like about the the Marseille that it felt like it was more of an objective um, system so that you, the reader, could interpret more appropriately for the question being asked, now you read the stuff four people. Um, do you what do you think of that notion?
0: i think I think that I like it because it's easy to um, It's easy for what needs to come up to come up, right? And maybe I will reference esoteric stuff, tough stuff things like that. Maybe I'll tell a story about this. I'd be like, oh well, you know, if we were doing this, we'd be talking about, you know, the journey from from the path of the earth to the path of the moon and what that entails and what that means in, you know, initiatory tradition and all blah 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 blah. Right? Maybe I'll share that conversation with somebody around something, right? But maybe I won't, right? Maybe I'll just be like, you know, uh read it visually, read it, you know, whatever. Maybe we'll just talk about psychology. Like and I think that Um, it, it really allows for, as you, as you kind of say, it's hard when you look at a card and it shows something specific, it's hard to have a conversation that's from a broader range of tarot understanding. If the artwork is, is from a narrow spectrum of that, you know, and, and that's fine, but you know, it allows for a lot of stuff, right? I also find for me, um, The Marseille is a great holding place for psychic stuff. It's very easy um, to look at things and see things that aren't there, which is sort of a way in which messages will come to me. And I'll be Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm looking at this and this thing looks like a stomach and blah, blah, blah. How's your stomach? What's going on? You know, or what have you, right? Like uh, the best example was I I flipped the ace of swords for somebody and the base of the crown the sword goes through. Immediately looked like a stomach to a person, to me. And I looked at the Ace of Swords going through, and I'm like, "Oh, are you planning on having some kind of stomach surgery?" And they're like, "Yeah, I'm gonna do this." And I was like, "Great, cards say it's great for you, and you should definitely do it. It's gonna fix your problems and blah blah. You know, whatever, right?" But it's like, what does that have to do with anything? It has to do with the fact that it makes a lot more space for me mm-hmm. to see things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and not to say that that might not happen in other. With other things too but it's one of the things i like about it for me it kind of allows magic card reading psychology and and, and art and all those pieces to flow together in a really um, profound and powerful kind of way so yeah yeah and i'm actually gearing up i'm going to be teaching uh late january i'm going to teach my class on the marseille deck oh yeah um, yeah so it's the last time i'm going to teach it live I'm wrapping up a bunch of stuff these days where I'm like, I'm teaching this one more time and then I'm done. And I'm going to, it'll be available by recording, but it's not quite the same. Right. So.
1: No, it's still good though. Recordings are good. So yeah. Oh, well let me know when you're teaching it. I want to uh, maybe check that out. Um, Speak, but okay, here's something, I don't know. Hopefully the life we're all living now won't, be going on for much longer maybe the spec the vaccines will work and we'll be able to gather again someday soon yeah. but just in case not i'll share something or for people who can't get out or can't travel to places this, this is a thing that i've been doing that has been the one thing that has saved me through this quarantine period is recorded tarot classes and workshops yeah. Because I can, what what I do, okay, sitting and watching them by myself, zero fun. Zero fun, lots of mind wandering, not wonderful. Instead, I have a buddy, and we don't live near each other, so we just meet on Zoom, and we watch these classes together. And because they're recorded, we can stop them whenever we want, talk about whatever we want, discuss things, look things up, back up. I mean, we generally spend at least as much time talking about whatever the teacher just said as the teacher did. Mm -hmm. And it's just phenomenal. It makes it so much better. So, you know, for anybody out there who can't travel to conferences or if we can't travel still and you want to take an online class, I suggest taking it with a friend and watching them together because it makes it way better if you're going to do a recorded class. So uh, it's sure. been super
0: valuable to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, it's so much better to have people to discuss stuff with, right?
1: Mm-hmm. To be able to share
0: it and whatever, you know, it's, it's nice to do it on your own, you know, and mm-hmm. as a person who like, I didn't know anybody else who was into this stuff for a tremendously long time. Right. So mm-hmm. I just read it a lot myself and whatever. And that's cool and all, but it's hard, right? It's a hard road you know and i'm all for like if there's an easier road hop on that easier road do the easier things and definitely having some people to talk stuff through is is super duper helpful yeah yep it is yeah well maybe we'll wrap it up there find a buddy do a thing find a buddy find find your universal universal model of the universe and dig into it (laughs) don't be afraid of of yielding some level of control to it. Once you find the thing you feel drawn to, I, I personally would say it'll, it'll take you a lot of places that'll be really beneficial. Right. Mm -hmm. Having belonged to a bunch of, uh, low key cults as opposed to like horrible cults, you know, (laughs) um, there's a lot to be said for, for finding that right balance of, uh, of, uh, recognizing some kind of other authority or other truth and feeling that discomfort of it around your ego, resisting, mm-hmm. accepting it, you know, and, and exploring that and seeing what that's about, you know, because sometimes, you know, and like, certainly if you got a big red flag, run away, you know, there are a lot of horrible mm-hmm. things out there in the world. So please don't take it that way. But, but there's also stuff where it benefits us to sort of, chafe against it a little bit and look at that and see where those discomforts are and be like what is that there oh is that about my parents my upbringing or is it about what's actually going on here or is it about whatever you know i think exactly. it's uh it's really fruitful yeah to yeah. do that kind of work
1: well uh, and that is no matter what deck you use that seems to be one of the universal themes in tar- tarot is balance mm-hmm. finding the right balance
0: for sure yeah yeah all right, Barbara, I know you're, you're not on social media still. So where do people come to connect with you?
1: Um, oh, the easiest thing is my website because it has my email on it. So email is great. If we get to be good enough friends, we can text even on the phone. But um, yeah, www.tarotshaman.com. Or you can Google Barbara More Tarot. That's even easier and you'll find my website. So yeah, email me, reach out. I'd love to chat.
0: Perfect. All right. And uh, I will put uh, stuff about the classes discussed and other things in the show notes. And uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And thank you for making time No,
1: Thank you for having me. It was great fun. Now I will talk to you later.
0: So I hope you enjoyed that episode. I was digging around looking at what was happening with the podcast as I was getting ready to relaunch and I realized that I've been doing these podcasts uh, episodes for 10 years now which struck me as a really long time and there are uh, including this one now 116 episodes for you to listen to I hope you've enjoyed it and I really would love it if you can consider doing Some or all of the following things. Please lend some support to the podcast through Buy Me A Coffee or through the direct links in my bio. And certainly share this everywhere. You know, it's harder and harder in these digital spaces to kind of get your message out. And the algorithms tend to work against sharing things like this when you are the creator. So do me a favor, share it somewhere. You know, you can repost it. You can share it to your stories. You can, you know, tell your friends about it. All of that helps me continue to move this ahead and share what I think is a great body of work that I think we really need these days. You know, not something that's 15 or 30 seconds long, but a long, deep and thoughtful conversation with some people who've been really digging in and doing a lot of work to become an expert in their fields. So thanks again. I will be back next week and every week for the following five weeks for this first season of 2021.